You are listening to the Not So Darling Podcast. Hey, this is your host, Tanya Phillips, a socially awkward overthinker with the vocabulary of a well-educated sailor. On Not So Darling, we will discuss beauty, fashion, wellness, hot topics, honest conversations about family, friendship, marriage, and motherhood, and not taking ourselves so seriously because being perfect is lame. Hey, Audrey, thank you so much for talking with me today. Hello, Tanya. Thanks for having me. Super excited. I am so, so excited to share uh, all the inside scoop on uh, you and and what you do. Um, yeah, I'm to educate everybody today. So hopefully it's a little more informative than what it would be if you just came and saw me for a consultation. My goal today is really just to educate a little bit further and deeper and longer um, than what I usually allot for consultations in the office. So I'm looking forward to your questions. Awesome. I appreciate that. And um, so I'll go ahead and start. What What made you want to go into the aesthetics field of nursing? So I graduated from nursing school in 2008, and I really um, loved the idea of educating patients. That was always my goal. I love caring for patients, but one of my passions is just educating patients and talking to patients. And I was at a hospital that gave me a lot of opportunity to grow um, as a bedside nurse and then as a charge nurse and an associate nurse manager and then I was in an administrative role when I left and it's not that I didn't enjoy my job and love who I worked with I just didn't have any patient care anymore because of the growth that I had had within the hospital and so I missed it and I really wanted to get back to not necessarily the bedside but just back to the patient and I didn't really foresee that happening in a hospital setting. Um, I also have a passion for art in general. And so I felt like being in the aesthetic world and becoming a nurse injector was a place where I could really incorporate both science and art um, equally, but then I also had the ability to have my patients again and form relationships and establish um you know, just a a patient load again and just having that, that relationship again. That is really interesting, um, to know about you that you love art. And I, I find that art and this field, um, kind of go hand in hand. For sure. They definitely do. Tell us what the difference is between Botox, Dysport and other neurotoxins. Good question. So neurotoxins is kind of an umbrella term that's used to categorize these drugs um, that we have. The three that are um, that we use in our office or that are FDA approved in the United States are Botox, Dysport, and Xeomin. Um, so what they all are are uh, temporary paralysis of the muscle that's treated for specific areas on the face where you want to relax fine lines. So most commonly, um, the areas that we inject are between the brows on the forehead and then around the eyes called the crow's feet. 
And for all of them, they all typically kick in between three and seven days. They're all going to last you around three months. So most people are getting it about four times a year. Um, what I tell my patients is for the most part, you can't tell the difference in your treatment. If you had it done and you weren't told whether it was Botox or just order Xeomin, you most likely would not be able to tell the difference. And so for that reason, I tell my patients to try them all. You may end up liking one better than the other, but at the end of the day, um, just stick with what you know because, um, you know, it's the same thing as being consistent. Um, but chemically, the difference between the three of them, um, you have the same active ingredient, which is that botulinum toxin, uh, but the, there are little proteins, they're called accessory proteins, that make the chemical difference in the three different neuromodulators. So Botox has the longest list of proteins, Dysport has about half of that, and then Xeomin is a naked protein, so they don't have those proteins. Um, there are newer studies emerging about these proteins that are indicative, uh, indicative of um, a immunity that patients can gain with consistent use of Botox or Dysport because of the proteins. So we know that proteins in the body create antibodies and antibodies create immunities after consistent use. So for that reason, we are kind of looking at the use of Xeomin because it's a naked protein and possibly incorporating that a little bit more frequently than a Botox or a Dysport. Mm. But really... The best thing for you to know is that they're all safe. They're all used across the board. Botox is probably used as a coin term more frequently than any of the other ones because it's the oldest neuromodulator, if you will, or the oldest neurotoxin. Um, so kind of an analogy that I like to use with my patients is if you asked for a Kleenex, Kleenex is a brand. If you got a Puffs, you'd probably be fine to blow your nose with a Puffs, but it's a tissue at the end of the day. So if you ask for Botox and you get Dysport or Xeomin, you'll be fine with it because really at the end of the day, it's a neurotoxin or a neuromodulator. Okay. Yeah. See, I remember uh, first when I first started um, getting any of the neurotoxins, we did the um, Xenomin first. And then, and because I was nervous, one, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm injecting something in my body. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm very a natural person. So I'm like, well, she knows. Audrey knows how my anxiety is. So I go in there and I'm like, I don't know. And I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. So I, de I definitely do not regret it. And it has helped so much with any kind of lines. I, I feel like I hardly have any really deep or lines at all I mean I know I don't have any deep lines but any really fine lines at that um mm -hmm. but and, and you're consistent with it so consistency is definitely key with neurotoxins you want to make sure that you're maintaining adequacy throughout the entire year and so to do that you have to be treated four times a year and we see patients younger and younger coming in because we use it as a prophylactic treatment we know if that you can't make that line then you're not going to form the line long term so it makes sense to treat patients prophylactically in their 20s before you start making those lines so that you're not having to play catch up later on in life it makes it makes a lot of sense. I just sometimes I steer clear as far as some certain ages, just because I, 
it makes me a little nervous for them because I don't want because sometimes it looks unnatural and you want to mm-hmm. be able to make expressions but and not look so frozen yes and and that's I've never gotten that from you um I've always felt um I mean it's funny sometimes when I look at myself or I'm watching myself in a video and I'm trying to make a face and I'm like that's that's a that's a Botox face right there because I can't move but um you know but I can still feel like I have you know expression you know I I don't look like I'm totally frozen um but yeah I started with the xenomen and then I did the disport I have never used Botox um yeah so we've only done the disport and the xenomen and and the disport more regularly now um and I I honestly can say I I don't really think I've seen a difference in either of those um I feel like and that was another question I was going to ask is with me I feel I, I, my body metabolizes quickly. And so does that affect the, the length of that? uh, Or is that just in fillers? No, metabolism can definitely affect the longevity that you get from any neurotoxin. And it's probably going to be consistent across the board with all three of them. Mm -hmm. Um, at the end of the day, they are drugs, right? And so just like, you know, a Tylenol may affect you differently than, um, somebody standing next to you, maybe you need four Tylenol for your headache and maybe somebody else only needs one or two. So it's all in how you metabolize drugs. It's a drug at the end of the day. And so there are um, different ways that we can tweak your dosing with a neuromodulator, just like any other drug. Or let's say you went to your cardiologist because you had high blood pressure. Well, they're going to put you on a blood pressure medication and tell you to come back in two weeks. And they may increase or decrease your dose depending upon what your new blood pressure result is. And we do the same thing with with any neurotoxin. We can do an injection and we have standards that are given to us from the FDA and then also from physical assessment on how strong that muscle looks or what your movement looks like and really what your goals are. Do you want to be completely frozen or do you want a little bit of expression left over? And so for my patients that I are, I'm injecting, I've never injected before, it's sometimes trial or trial and error to find out what the appropriate dose is for those patients because, um, you know, everybody has different goals. And so I'll have them come back two weeks or so after their initial injection and we can reevaluate if they're happy. Great. If not, we'll add a little bit more. Maybe I make note and say, well, she didn't like this. And so we'll back off of it a little bit more the next time. Yes. You have been very, very good about that. So I, I, I can vouch for that for sure. And now one question a friend had um, was, can you get any of the neurotoxins, Botox, Dysport, Xenomen uh, during pregnancy? So unfortunately, no. Um, <laughs> and it's not that it's been deemed as being unsafe during pregnancy. It's just that it's not been studied. So ethically, obviously, there would not be any type of um, platform that would allow us to study that. So we have to say no only because we don't know. Right. And that, and that makes a lot of sense. And I kind of figured that just, you know, for safety reasons and not knowing, you know, um, so I told her, no, I, I said, I, I'm going to say no, but I'm going to ask. Um, yeah. and a lot of people that don't get fillers or Botox don't really understand or know the difference between Botox and fillers. So mm-hmm. what are fillers and why are they, and why are they different from Botox or neurotoxins. Okay. So neuro 
hands, remember, it's going to paralyze that muscle temporarily. So any line, wrinkle, fine line wrinkle, what have you, that's caused from muscle movement. So typically around the eyes, there are some off-label uses that we use it for, but that's what you're going to treat with a, a Botox or a Dysport or a Xeomin. As far as a filler, think about those as volume enhancers. So we're trying to restore a useful appearance by filling or volumizing the face, and then sometimes we use it to enhance features on the face, like the lips, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's not that you necessarily have volume loss, so you just want bigger lips. Um, so think about fillers just like that. They are filling the face. Okay. And, and I know there are so many different types of fillers. Mm -hmm. So, so why so many, why are there so many different ones and, and do they all do something differently as far as filling? I mean, I know they all fill the face with mm -hmm. hyaluronic acid. Mm -hmm. Okay. So those are kind of like your standard or your um, traditional fillers but all all of the different fillers have unique properties and they all have different physical characteristics and um, advantages and disadvantages that make them different for different areas of the face if you think about the different fillers um, that we have we kind of consider it like our toolbox so you've got tons of different tools within your toolbox to achieve the goals that your patients are looking for and all of them with different um, characteristics. We look at a multitude of different things that define those characteristics as an injector. So some of the characteristics, for instance, would be like a G-prime. So that measures, um, if, you, if you think about G-force, right? So it's the force um, or the hardness of the gel that it takes to deform it. The best analogy that I have with that is if you think about um, like a bowl of jello and a bowl of pudding. So jello has a lot of force that you have to put on it in order to make it look different. With pudding, you just put a little bit of force on it and it's forever going to be changed. So G prime is one way that we measure different types of particles within the gel carrier the way that they're cross-linked. So some of them are cross-linked very um, tightly bound, and some of them are a little bit looser. Mm -hmm. We look at the lift capacity that a, um, a filler has. So if we want something that gives a lot of lift, like a cheek, then we would pick something that has a very high lift capacity. Um, and then we look at things like cohesivity. Um, so that's how sticky the gel is. Um, and a lot of times that links to longevity. So all of these different characteristics, and there's many more things that we look at within each of the gel carriers that make them different. Then you look at, uh, you talk about HA fillers. So HA fillers or hyaluronic acid fillers are your traditional fillers. So we naturally have HA within our dermis or within our skin. And what that HA does is gives hydration to the skin. And so when we inject a HA filler, it's doing just that. It's also hydrating the skin. It's giving you some volume back into the skin. They're very, um, they're safe because they're reversible, which is nice. There is an antidote to HA fillers. Um, but these are like your, all your Juvederm fillers. So you're looking at like Juvederm, Voluma, 
um, Juvederm Ultra, all of the different Juvederm fillers. Then you have your whole family of Restylane fillers, Restylane Lift, Restylane Refine, Restylane Define, Restylane Silk. All those are Restylane fillers, so that family. And then you have Belotero. Belotero is a MERS product, and it stands alone by itself. So those are HA traditional fillers. Then you look at something like uh, Sculptra, um, which is exactly identical to naturally occurring AHAs or alpha hydroxy acids, which are also naturally occurring in our dermis. Um, these are biostimulant type fillers. So think about the injection, even though it's not a drug, think about the injection as being something that's put in so that your body has this neocollagenesis or promotes collagen um, growth. Then the third type of filler that we use is called Radius, and it's kind of the um, mixture of the two, if you will. So you have a gel carrier with Radius that gives you that immediate benefit, but then it's also about stimulant where it's creating that neocollagenesis and um, creating collagen over time. So some of them last for a lot longer than others do, right? Yes. Okay, yes. so some of the HA fillers may only typically last, depending on the person and how they metabolize, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, what is that longevity, I guess you could say, of each of those? Okay, so the longevity of each of those, it's really dependent upon where it goes in the face and then which product you're using. Those um, fillers that are a little bit heavier, something that you would use for a cheek augmentation, for instance, is going to give you more longevity than something that's in the lips. So we use our lips, obviously, to eat and talk, express, all of those things. And so a lot of times those fillers can be broken down a lot quicker than someplace like in the temple or the cheek would be. Okay. And like I, like you just said, I mean, you kind of answered the question I was going to ask is with with that being said, each filler can fill different areas. So not every filler can fill those areas either. Correct. So. Right. Okay. Right. Like, so you wouldn't want to use like a super thick filler in the lip because we're looking at something that gives a very soft augmentation. So a lip or a tear trough filler where the skin is really thin and you're going to be able to see that filler if you put something thick in there because it's going to get bumpy. Um, we want to use something that's really, really thin like a Restylane um, or a Bellatero um, or even just a Juvederm. And then if you're doing a cheek augmentation or the temples or even the chin and the jawline, we're mimicking bone at that point. And so you want something that's a little bit heavier, like a Restylane lift or a Radius perhaps. And all of these things are chosen by your injector based off of really what your goals are and then what your anatomy is and, and uh, what your injector feels like is best for you. Okay. What are some of the do's and don'ts on fillers and Botox? So I would say find a good injector, first and foremost, and trust your injector. Um, when you go in and you point to a certain area of your face, your injector knows more about what causes those issues. Um, and so really just trusting your injector is probably the biggest thing. I will tell you, I've had more patients come and sit in my chair and they point to their lower face, they point to their jowls, they point to their nasal labial folds and they say they don't like this and they want me to fill it. And 
that's not the way that we treat it. We treat, you know, mostly the mid face. We have to correct the cheek and the temple, as you know, first, <laughs> and it really yes. helps with the lower face. And so it's not about adding more volume to where all of your volume has settled in order to help that correction. We have to restore volume where volume is lost, and typically that's higher up in the face. So just like with a facelift, you know, we pull everything up right and then right. cut it out we don't push everything down and then cut it out and so it doesn't make sense to me as an injector to just start injecting along those lines that bother you it's more about restoring volume where you've lost volume so i would say my biggest do or my biggest takeaway is to trust your injector and to find somebody that knows what they're doing as far as a don't um i would say don't overdo it and because it's easy to do it's easy to become addicted to it and um, if you find a good injector who you trust, they should be able to tell you, you know, no, you don't need that. Yes, you need it. Or why don't we take a look, you know, in a couple months and see if you need it then. But to also be consistent with your treatment. So when your injector is telling you, hey, you need to come in every three months for your neuromodulator, then be there every three months. Or if your injector is saying, let's follow up in another month or two and look and see where your volume's at and we can reassess. I I would have to agree because I was one of those patients that would come in and say, can you fix this, this, this lower part, it's driving me crazy. <laughs> and we're like, no, we need to restore up more. And I'm like, no, I don't need, you know, at the time I'm like, I don't, I don't need that, you know? And, and, and it's kind of scary because you think, oh no, I'm going to look like the crazy cat lady forever. <laughs> <laughs> You, you, you know, when the, when these things do happen, you know, when you get these fillers or the in, these injections, as far as fillers go, you will see some swelling and possibly bruising. And so, and you will look a little, I don't want to say cat-like, but if you get some, some, not all, not all of those, I should say, but in my experience that I had, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it does kind of distort your look for a, a, a few days, but then it, you know, goes away and then you're normal yeah. again. <laughs> so that and should I say too, from my experience and I know what the fillers do. Like I, I know that they're going to swell and I had to call, I had, um, mm -hmm. my chin done and my jawline injected and, uh, I called a colleague that night because I was freaking out about what it looked like. And she had to talk me off the ledge and I know better. <laughs> so it's, it happens to all of us, but reassurance is key. And I tell most of my patients not to even look at themselves for about two weeks because you're swelling and you're bruising. It happens. We know that it happens. All fillers are going to swell. It's an injury at the end of the day. So it happens. So we just, you have to be patient with it for sure. What is, yeah, you definitely do, but it, it does get better and then you will love the results. I promise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is the number one injectable treatment that you do? I would say neuromodulators for sure. So, you know, your Botox, Dysport, and all of them kind of run within the same thing for me, but that would be my most common thing that I do. As far as Filler injectables, probably the cheeks. The cheeks? Wow. Mm -hmm. um, interesting. The cheek really kind of, like I said, when people come in and they don't like them, 
nasal labial folds. I'm like, well, we're injecting your cheeks today. So that's where we start for most correction for um, issues that are of concern for my patients. And so we have to correct the mid-face first. The cheek really dictates a lot on the, on the face, whether it be your tear trough or your nasal labial fold. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cheek correction is, is key in restoring volume in the face. And, you know, because I think a lot of times people, women, uh, there are men, I know, that get fillers and Botox, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. most of the women that watch TV or look in the magazines, they see some of these stars who have had a lot of things done. And sometimes it changes their look. So, you know, I've, I've noticed that a lot, like a lot in the cheeks. And so sometimes they look so overdone. Or to to me, this is me personally. So some people may like that look, but to me, mm-hmm. you can see it just looks kind of not natural. Yeah, and yes. and so I think that's why when someone says we need to fill here, they immediately stress out if they're worried about it because, or they're anxious like me, and I'm like, oh no, heck no, because mm-hmm. I'm afraid I'm gonna look like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But then it ends up not looking like that. So, but if, if, as long as you don't put too much in, right? Yeah, no doubt. That's where your don't comes in is just not to overdo it because it's easy to do. Okay. So I know you also, um, help out Dr. Mizuguchi with his plastic surgery patients, um, who have had different types of surgery. So what are, um, some of the do's and don'ts on plastic surgery? Probably the same thing is to trust uh, your surgeon. Dr. Mizuguchi is very good um, and conservative in his approach with his patients. People will come in wanting specific things, and it may be that he recommends something completely different, and it may be that you're just not a candidate for surgery, and that happens, and it's okay that it happens. Take it as a compliment and not as um, you know anything other than that. So trust your surgeon. Again, um, they're there to help you. They're not there to take advantage of you. And then, again, I would say the same thing, honestly, for um, plastic surgery patients is not to overdo it. Okay. Don't overdo it, people. Remember this, please. (laughs) And what are the biggest misconceptions on Botox, fillers, plastic surgery? What, What do you think some of the biggest misconceptions are? is that it's not taboo anymore and that it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to do it. You see friends getting together for, you know, these coined Botox parties or they go in and they support each other during their clinical visits or during their injections and it's okay for you to be doing it. It's not really a taboo subject anymore. I think it's it's um, really out in the open and you should be talking about it and empowering other women or other men really to, to do it because it's okay, it's safe and it's fun and you know it's really about caring for yourself and feeling better about yourself and uplifting yourself and just getting yourself to um feel better about about the way that you look I I would have to agree because this is um I mean a few of my friends know that I've had you know a few things done like as far as the Botox and some of the fillers um I just you know, I was really nervous. I don't really like to talk about it or tell people. And you know this because you had a, a photo of me and, and you're like, can I share it? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I just, it, well, can they see, can you cut this part off? And, you know, but now I'm just like, you know what? 
I'm going to let you share it. I'm going to let you do it because, yeah, because I'm, you know, this podcast is going to go out live and it's going to hear, and you know, everyone's going to hear it or not everyone, hopefully everyone. Um, but you know, whoever does, they're going to know. And so I, I just, I guess I didn't want it to seem like I was shallow or I was, um, you know, trying to look 25 when I'm 42. I, I really don't want to look 25. I mean, I would be happy with 38. If I, if I can pass for 38, Hey, I'll take that as a 42 year old, but I know I'm not going to look 21 anymore. Um, and that's fine. I just want to look and feel good about myself, like look in the mirror and feel good about what I see. And, and the thing is too, is that a lot of the times life happens and you lose weight or you go through health issues like myself and your face ends up being the, the, uh, the, I don't want to say the, the downfall of it all. I mean, cause my body went through it, but, um, my face really lacked a lot of volume because there was no, um, nothing there to fill it. And then age happened also. So I want to look, you know, more youthful and, and that's why I did it. I, and, and just to feel better and look in the mirror and say, okay, you know, I don't look so skeleton like, you know, cause for so long, I, that's, that's kind of how it looked. I mean, you know, you've seen it. We've seen the before and after I, I guess when I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that it was that bad. <laughs> you know, probably the most common way that patients come in and, and explain it is that they, you know, it's not about necessarily being 40 and wanting to look 20 or being 40 and wanting to look 30 even. It's mm-hmm. just about looking the best for the age that you are. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. So, okay. So as we're moving forward, tips and tricks on skincare and not aging as fast. I obviously know one, the number one you're going to say is SPF. And that is one of the biggest things that I've learned through this whole process of, of the last, what, five years of my process with Audrey is really, you know, protecting my skin. Um, even if I am out in the sun, I do like to go out in the sun. I like to go swimming and things like that. So, um, I do protect my face 100% with some type of coverage, whether it be a hat, um, and, and SPF. So I know that that is going to be the number one thing that you say. It is. And anybody that knows me knows that that's my pet peeve. Um, so definitely the two things by far that are going to help you age less quickly is going to be no sun and no smoking. And it's not that you can't get out in the sun. It's, you know, I still enjoy myself outside too, but I'm wearing SPF and I typically have a hat on too when I'm outside. So it's no, the sun isn't directly affecting me. Um, obviously vitamin D is good to have too. So, um, we all need a little bit of sunshine in our lives from time to time, but it's not, um, laying out in the sun and sunbathing every day. So, um, as far as good tips and tricks for sun or for skincare, um, obviously SPF is my number one. You want at least a 30 SPF on uh, your face at all times. If you're out in the sun, then reapplying that SPF is key. Um, And then there are four skincare products that I always recommend for all of my patients, whether you have young aging skin or mature aging skin. 
Um, the four go-tos are going to be, number one, your sunscreen, number two, your antioxidant, your retinol, and then some type of growth factor or peptide. And all of um, those four have different formulations, if you will, that I recommend um, based mm. off of the person's skin type. And then beyond that, all of the other things are kind of just added benefits. So if you're super dry, you may add a really good moisturizer or a really good topical HA or hyaluronic acid. If you're having some issues with some under eye um, crepiness, then we may add an eye cream. You may want a really good wash, like a glycolic anti-aging wash. So all of those other things we can add to your skincare regimen depending upon how um, detailed you want to be or if you want something super simplistic, then we can simplify it as well. And, and and a lot of those that you mentioned have different benefits um, as far as the glycolic or the retinol. Um, retinol is going to help prevent what fine lines? Yep. So a retinol or retinoid is going to promote like cellular turnover. Okay. And so it really helps with smoother skin and it decreases those fine lines and wrinkles. It's a product that we use at night typically only. If you are using a retinol, it does increase your sensitivity to sun. And so you 100% need to be using a sunscreen anytime that you're using a retinol. Okay. And then also um, with the peptides, what what is what is that exactly? So growth factors are peptides. So growth factors are naturally occurring substances in our skin cells. And when we put it on topically, it's helping to maintain that youthful skin. Peptides is a, um, they're not naturally occurring. These are synthetic peptides that are made or formulated by our skincare companies. And it's doing the same thing to help with this collagen synthesis to help promote, um, like an anti-aging cream so it really just depends on whether or not you want a human growth factor so we have human growth factors that are derived from human growth factors that naturally occurring substance or we have the peptides which are um made in a lab they're basically doing the same thing okay and then one other question is the um exfoliation because that's key right you want to exfoliate that um dead skin off so that you can the cell turnover and then um yep, exactly so i like to do my exfoliating you know two or three times a week but i'm a super oily person and so depending upon your skin if you're more dry or if it's in the winter um then a, a really deep rich exfoliation isn't necessary because you can counteract the benefits of an exfoliant if you're overdoing it so depending upon what your skin is, is really, I would, you know, depends on the recommendation for exfoliation. I know a lot of people love the charcoal mask or those dark um, charcoal yeah. things. And, and, and I see pluses and minuses. And so answer this question for me, because if you're, you know, if your skin is oily, but you are of age of like, you know, 35 and above, just say, um, and you don't have any acne or anything like that, but your skin is still oily. Should you be using those? Cause sometimes it, I feel like that's a disadvantage for you because if you do that, you're stripping the oil from your skin and then it's going to dry it out to where you're going to see more lines. Is that, uh, so you definitely want to stay hydrated. Think about a, um, a charcoal mask or a charcoal wash. Even I, I don't use charcoal masks 
because they irritate my skin. I like my charcoal wash though, because it helps with the um, oil buildup. But think about charcoal as being more of a, a purifier for your skin. So it really helps clean out those pores. If you are using charcoal mask though, it will dry up a lot of those sebaceous glands. And so you want to make sure that you're, um, doing a really good moisturizer afterwards and then probably some type of ha topically as well just to give your skin a drink of water okay because my husband he's very like oily he's still at over 40 and still has blackheads like in his nose and so we try to you know exfoliate that area and he's not very good about putting the moisturizer on and I know a lot of my friends don't like putting that moisture on their skin because they're like my skin's so oily and I have these blackheads or I have a little bump here or there I don't want to put that on my face because when I do it just breaks out more mm-hmm. so you have to find a moisturizer that's not pore clogging and there are some out there that are going to benefit your skin health in multiple different layers like um potentially you try an HA so that's my favorite I don't use a moisturizer uh, because I am oily and so I I get it I feel those people I'm that person but I do use a topical HA because it's more about the hydration and not the moisture. So I, hi- I can hydrate my skin without clogging the pores. And it's more of a serum than a cream. So typically creams and I do not get along because it breaks me out. So I stick closer to the serums. They're thinner and they're not pore clogging like an, a topical HA would do. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for that. At my age now, I'm oily too, but I don't care. I'm like, just pile on the moisture. Just keep it coming. (laughs) As long as I don't have any bumps, I don't care. I just want all the oils and to protect so I don't get any kind of fine lines or wrinkles. (laughs) I've worked too hard for this. Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, I do appreciate so much of of you, um, of all your tips. (laughs) And I have four questions that I ask uh, each of my guests. With that being said, name something in your life that you've done that wasn't so darling. (laughs) Tanya, well, I can name a lot. (laughs) Hey, I love that because... I'm going to keep it professional, and I'm going to go with something that I do consistently that my husband constantly gets on me about, and it's having a lead foot. I speed all the time. And the last time... um, I got in trouble with that was actually Thanksgiving day. I was driving to my parents' house with my kids in in tow and my husband was driving separately because he was going to leave early to go watch a basketball game, I think. Um, And so he watched me get pulled over on Thanksgiving day with my kids in tow and the dog. And then the rest of my family was proceeded behind him and all saw me out standing outside of my truck. (laughs) Well, okay, so that was a good one, and it wasn't one of your darling moments, I don't guess, but she is very darling, so I'm so glad that you said something, because I've had a few guests that were like, um, well, I don't know, you know, and I'm like, no, I want to get the dirt. Yeah, I've got to get the dirt, okay? Okay, what celebrity do you find to be so darling? You know, this was a hard one for me because I'm not a big pop culture person, um, but I have to say I love Ellen 
DeGeneres. I think she is awesome. I love what she does just for the world in general as far as her comedy and her huge heart. And I I love her. I think she's great. Well, you are not alone because I've had yeah. numerous people already say the same person. Really? Uh, yes. Awesome. Yes. There's been like three or four of the same people that they've kind of mentioned so um I agree with you I think she is super darling and just a fantastic person and generous and just Very. selfless and mm-hmm. I love that I love that um okay so what is in your closet a lot of shoes. I am a shoe fanatic. I cannot help it. It drives my husband crazy, but I'm addicted to the real real and I'm addicted to guilt and I'm addicted to online shopping. So maybe that should have been my not so darling answer. (laughs) No, I think everybody's with you on that one. I've had a lot of people say shoes and, um, I have also shopped on some of those sites, and unfortunately, my husband doesn't like that either because it is very expensive. Yeah. I hope you're getting your stuff on sale, at least, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) All right, and the last question is, how would you describe your home decor? So I would describe my home decor as probably more of a classic, timeless, um, decor I I like things um yeah just more classic I guess but I also have some really interesting just statement pieces in all of the rooms that I that I've decorated so far we just moved into our house about two years ago so it's not completely done but I like that classic finish with just those um just pops of statement pieces throughout and whether it be a piece of art I love collecting art. Um, I love art. And then also just like classic furniture pieces that I found out antiquing or um, just out and about. I just, I always have, I have a statement piece in every room. And I also love animal print. So I do, or just animal in general. So I try to put some type of animal or incorporate it in each of my rooms. So I've got some antelope um runners like my runners up the stairs and down the foyer and into the hallways is all antelope and one room has like a cowhide rug and then I've got some leopards so I do try to incorporate a little pop of animal in each one of the rooms as well oh I love it I've actually seen just a few glimpses of your house on uh, Instagram and I'm like oh is that what is that print? I've seen that on your stairs. <laughs> I am a big uh, home decor person, so I uh, I'm digging I'm digging yours. Oh, and thank you. the the art pieces, I, I think I've seen a few too, and I love what you just did to your fireplace. Oh yes, I love it. Oh, yes, that was fantastic. Um, it looks it, it looks beautiful. Page. It was beautiful. Well, speaking of Instagram, um, what, where can my listeners find you? So I'm Audrey May 047. And then you can also find me on our work page, which is gold scalpel. And that is Dr. Mizuguchi's page. We post a lot of before and afters on there and I do quite a lot of videos on there as well. Thank you. Well, you guys go check her out and go check out 
Dr. Mizuguchi's office. You uh, won't regret it. I promise. <laughs> Please ask for Audrey. She is the sweetest and she's not going to give you something you don't need. And Audrey has been so kind to offer a 10% off discount to my listeners. So use Darling Aesthetics for 10% discount when calling to make your appointment. That's Darling Aesthetics. D-A-R-L-I-N-A-E-T-I-C-S. So thanks, Audrey. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And don't forget to follow Not So Darling Podcast on Instagram.